Morning, everyone. Second service, good to see everyone here. Um, JJ, one-man band. Love Handles, great series, eh? Two weeks looking at marriage. We're going to just spread the net a little bit, like when you drop a stone in the beautiful, clean, still pool. You know those concentric circles? We're going to just go a bit wider. But before I get into my message, uh, just a little bit of a background, and there's always method, well, I hope there's method in my madness. Um, Sands and I, over the last, we have three kids, over the last 18 months, we've uh, had the, not dubious honor, but the honor, I suppose, of funding weddings for two of our oldest kids. <laughs> See, those of you who, have, who are staring in the face or have been through it are probably known where I'm going. My 30-year-old son, David, and my 27-year-old uh, Jessica, my daughter, um, we did their weddings, and then shortly after the weddings, both of them just half-footed off to go and live in Canada, my son, and Cayman Islands, uh, leaving Sands and I to struggle with the life in RSA and KZM particularly. And, uh, but we have not lost hope, because we have those beautiful words and promises of Jesus in Luke 6. Uh, you're looking puzzled? I will tell you what these words say. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. I, I say thank you, Jesus. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we were generous, and now we are patiently waiting for the return <laughs> on investment. My mother-in-law tells me <laughs> it's never going to happen, but so what? Two, yeah, one more kid. Um, and with that, uh, what would a preach be without uh, maybe a song and maybe a little clip? So this clip here, JJ, uh, thank you, is f uh, from that first Hazel-funded wedding of my daughter. Uh, there's my delightful Jessica Ann and her Eastern Cape Timmer who fled to the Cayman Islands to earn foreign currency for dad and mom. <laughs> thank you. Um, but that was a lovely day uh, last year down in PE. You'll see Aubrey there as well. I don't know what he's doing. How he cracked. I don't know how he cracked the invite there, but he, he got there. And um, Okay, what's happening? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, it was a lovely day. Young love, eh? That's at the outset. That's before honeymoon. As a young Christian growing up dating sands, I used to pray, Jesus, don't come back before... Before the honeymoon. Just let, <laughs> let, me, let me get to the honeymoon. And um, thanks, JJ. That's great. Um, now, uh, both, my, both my daughters, Emma here, who you often see singing with her heart out, and my daughter Jessica are, are musicians. They love to sing. My Jessica plays guitar and keyboards and loves to sing. Uh, and in typical father-daughter fashion, we have like our favorite father-daughter artists. And one of those artists is a chap by the name of Andrew Peterson. And um, even before she got married, when she was dating numerous, no, no, when she was dating Tim, uh, <laughs> uh, this, was her, this was her favorite wedding marriage song. And you, it's going to be a little video, it's going to jump a little bit, so just the chorus and then the back section, please. JJ, can you hear it? This is a song called Dancing in the Minefields. I was 19, you were 21 The year we got engaged 
And everyone said we were much too young But we did it anyway We got the rings for 40 each From a pawn shop down the road And we said our vows and took the leap Now 15 years ago And we went dancing in the minefields We went sailing in the storm Harder than we dream, but I believe that's what the promise is for. Well, I do other two moments till the shadows disappear. Cause he promised not to leave us, and his promises are true. So in the face of all this chaos, maybe I can dance with you. Let's go dancing in the minefields Let's go sailing in the storms Oh, let's go dancing in the minefields And kicking down the doors Oh, let's go dancing in the minefields And sailing in the storms Oh, this is harder than Great song, Dancing in the Minefields, in the midst of all this chaos, maybe I can dance with you. So the chorus is, and we went dancing in the minefields, we went sailing in the storms, and it was harder than we dreamed, but I believe that's what the promise is for. Um, Sans and I are coming up for four decades of marriage, and she would, she's, was at the first service, she's, I think, shopping for some stuff. She would agree, at times, being married to me is like dancing in the minefield. <laughs> you, you know, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a safe place to dance in a minefield, is it? Um, and when we said our vows all those years ago, we set out into some storms that we didn't know were coming, because we thought it was going to be a honeymoon, and all the rest. And uh, it was harder than we dreamed, but I believe that's what the promise is for. So, as I wrote here, it's a little harder real life than a romantic comedy from Hollywood. But that last line, and we've just had two weeks where we've looked at marriage, and as I say, today we're going to go beyond that, but I just wanted to re recap. Um, I know Peterson, the, the songwriter, he actually reads quite a bit of C.S. Lewis. He was inspired by it. And 70 years ago, old C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor and author, he wrote these words. He said, the promise made when I'm in love and because I'm in love, to be true to the beloved as long as I live, Commits me to being true even if I cease to be in love. What he means with that is, you know, when the, when the feelings seem to maybe go cold for a moment. He says, a promise must be about things that I can do, about actions. No one can promise to go on feeling a certain way. He might as well promise never to have a headache. And I think Lewis has hit the nail on the head there, that old-time professor, because real life actually um, is about the promise. And even, you know, I think of the two weddings that I've just been through with my kids. At the center of that ceremony, and I was privileged to, to do both of those ceremonies, is the, is the vows. I always say to young people, as I've done numerous weddings as a pastor over the years, think about your vows. Think about the dress. Think about the suits. Think about the decor. Think about the food. Think about the venue. It's all important. 
But for me, like at the pinnacle of a marriage ceremony is the vows. And some of the modern vows that were presented, sometimes I thought, look, you know, hey, but, I mean, that's say nothing. But, but, but the old-time vows, in a sense, they don't have to be old English, is, is a promise, it's a vow. And that's normally sealed, as you know, with the giving of a ring. And, um, and that's, that's it. I mean, one more quote, just if you indulge me. From a chap, Wendell Berry, another author, friend of mine, or friend when I say a guy that I love to read, um, he's got a chapter in one of his books called Poetry and Marriage. And I thought that was interesting, Poetry and Marriage. And in that chapter, he writes this. The meaning of marriage begins in the giving of words. We cannot join ourselves to one another without giving our word. And this must be an unconditional giving. For in joining ourselves to one another, we join ourselves to the unknown. We can join one another only by joining the unknown. He says we must not be misled. And he says in life and in the world, we are never given two known results to choose between, but only one result that we choose without knowing what it is. Isn't that true of life? You go into a marriage or into a business, whatever, and we go in with heart and passion and vigor, but we, we'd be fooling ourselves if we knew exactly what was going to happen. And so he goes on, he says, in life, uh, so he says, because the condition of marriage is worldly um, and it's meaning communal, no one party can be solely in charge. Now he's talking in the context of marriage, which is where we've been hanging for these last two weeks. What you think it ought to be, Grant Hazel, it's not going to be. And as I joked this morning when Sandra's here, where you alone think you wanted to go, Sandra and Hazel, it's not going to go. It's going to go where the two of us, the two of you, take it with time and life and history in the world. You don't know the road, Barry finalizes. He says you have committed your life to a way. And so with that backdrop, over the last two Sundays, we've had Ross and Amy and Darren and Dar do a great job of looking and delving into the whole idea of marriage. What is marriage? What is God's intention for marriage? Um, and we've been reminded that at the heart of marriage is a, is a deep love, um, and that there's a, there's a Greek word for another, when I say a romantic love, remember eros, which is the word for romantic love, and that's good and it's beautiful and it's God-given. God but there's a deeper love, which is the Greek word agape in the scriptures, which is that selfless love. And if you're married, and especially if you're parents, you know that my life as a bachelor could be, was a very selfish life. And that's because you're a bachelor. If the mate said we'd go fishing and the bird, you didn't consult anyone, you went. You pleased yourself most of the time. Once you get a wife, things change. Or once you get a husband, ladies, it should change. And of course, once kids come, life gets even a little bit more complicated, and God willing, we become less and less selfish. But that, that love, uh, that agape love, is not only at the heart of, we see in the Bible, of a man and a woman coming together, but it's actually also necessary for the family that often comes from that, and then spreads beyond that to the household, which is the extended family, which the Bible often, when you see the word family in the Bible, it's talking about an extended family. Family, maybe 40, 50 people with aunts and uncles and grandfathers like in the old days. We've lost, we've lost some of that beautiful community. And, uh, and it extends even beyond that to, to our neighbors. And if we are to believe what Jesus said is true, that 
divine love extends even to our enemies. And we will get to that because that might be one step too far for most of us to love those who are our enemies. And so for us to survive as humans in whatever relationships, we need to, we need to learn what it is to love in that deeper way, that agape way. Now, I'm coming to today's topic after 10 minutes. Um, and I want you to just think back to that video. I love the whole song. I love the lyrics. My favorite part of that video was those old timers dancing. Now, it's a younger crowd here than the first service, but there are a few gray heads, and I'll count myself there. I just love the fact that those old silver-haired foxes with a few wrinkles were dancing at the end there. Wasn't that beautiful? A little twirl here, a little twirl there. And um, I, I enjoy that because sometimes at home, if I'm cooking and I've got a bit of music playing and Sands comes down, if I've had the necessary foresight and I have a plan in mind, I will open a glass of nice wine that she enjoys and I'll pour a glass. And if she comes into that scenario, I might get lucky. I might just get a dance in the kitchen. And so we will do those little twirls. So I'm just saying... Guys, if you need a little bit of help, dancing in the moonlight, remember that song? We're dancing by the sort of warm LED lights of the kitchen, <laughs> the energy-saving ones, not quite the same. And that romantic dancing is beautiful, and that's why at a wedding, like at my daughter's wedding, my big thing with the first dance, there's the, the video, you know, and they, they've, they've, these days it's all choreographed, which is going to play into my message. It's often, you know, it's beautiful, and you know, this is lovely, and then... You know, then the old man has to dance, and, and then, you know, and then it, the, the floor opens. And, and that romantic dancing that we, that we know, especially in the West, is beautiful. But there's another type of dancing. If you've ever been to a Greek wedding, you would see this type of dance. Um, it doesn't only involve two people. It's always at least three and often many, many more. And um, the term for that is perichoresis. And that last part of the word, choresis, is where we get our English word, folk choreography. Now, my sister was a classical dancer. We sent her off. My parents did at age 15 to go and dance Royal Ballet in London for many years. So I grew up in a house where chore the choreography was important in dance. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a terrible dancer, but I understand what it means to choreograph stuff. So this perichoresis is a dance which is described by a theologian. I, I didn't want to try and describe it myself. He says, this chap, Jonathan Marlowe, describes this Greek-style dancing that you will often see at a Greek wedding with many people on the floor like this. He says, when the theologians in the early church tried to describe the wonderful reality that we call the Trinity, now the Trinity focus just the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Godhead who, who just are together in everything. He says, they did so by using a picture. And so he writes, if any of you have ever been to a Greek wedding, you have made seen their distinctive way of dancing. It's called perichoresis. There are not two dancers, but at least three. And then he says, they start to go in circles, weaving in and out in a beautiful pattern of motion. And then they start to go faster and faster and faster. And all the while, they're staying in this perfect rhythm and in sync with each other. And eventually, they're dancing so quickly and yet so effortlessly that as you look at them, it just becomes a blur of beautiful movement on the floor. The individual identities, he says, are now part of a larger dance. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just focusing on one or two people, but there's a whole larger dance game. And he says the early church fathers and mothers looked at that type of style of dancing, and they said, ah, 
That's what the Trinity is like. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together, just dancing in perfect unity. And he says it's a harmonious set of relationships in which there's a mutual giving and receiving. This relationship, he writes, is called love, agape. And it's what the Trinity is all about. And the perichoresis is the dance of love. So my title for the preach, 15 minutes in, this morning, is an invitation to a dance. Today I want to issue an invitation to a dance. Now, the big idea is, remember the story of Cinderella, folk? Cinderella, horrible stepmother, ugly stepsisters. She's a little bit of a beauty. And what happens in the Cinderella story? The king of the land is looking for a partner for his prince. And so he sends out an open invitation, inviting everyone to come to a ball, a dance. And uh, it's a beautiful story. It's a bedtime story. My daughters love that story. They, they're thinking about the prince. That's what they're thinking about, or maybe the magic carriage. But, 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 but at heart, this is a very biblical story. Remember Jesus told his disciples a story about a king who issues an invitation to a banquet. And he sends out all of his servants and says, go and invite people. And they come back and they say, X number have responded. The king says, what? He says, there's more room. He says, get out now onto the highways and the byways. Compel people, invite them. Come on, I'm throwing a party, come in. That's the Cinderella story. It's the biblical story as well, if we know what is on offer. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's like this lavish feast. This is, like no, this is no second rate party. The, 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 the food has been, it's the best. The king's made sure of that. The best bands and orchestras in the land are there. Everything has just been, the decor is just beautiful. And for once in my life, I've hit the A-list. Normally, that's reserved for, for the A-list people. And you think, what, how did, no, no, the king said, everyone come, come to my dance. This beautiful invitation. And the best news of all, in terms of the gospel, is that it's free. You don't have to pay to get into this party. Right? This is not like a VIP thing. This is, this is just, come, 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 come. Be there. And so, as I was thinking, I thought, you know, often we, we do issue an invitation to people, and we should be issuing and saying, people, come on, Jesus is inviting you to follow him, to become his disciples, walk with him, be with him. And that's true. That's, that's one of the images. But there's another, contained within that beautiful thing of coming to walk with Jesus, is this invite. There's an invite to a party. There's an invite to a dance. And it's beautiful. And it's free. And uh, once we arrive at the party, I want you just to imagine with me. You get to the palace and you think, oh, this is beautiful and I'm here. And you've got your outfit on and you think this is going to be beautiful. And then what you realize is like there are thousands, there are millions of other people just who have been invited and streaming in. And they come from all parts, they've flown in from all parts of the planet. And what? There's a Russian, there's a Ukrainian. They've even invited the Swedes. Or, you know, everyone is there. A whole variety of people have arrived at the party. Different languages being spoken, different cultures, different, different dress. And you think, this is unbelievable. At that stage, you do think it's unbelievable. So where does this apply to love handles, the love handles that help us live together? Well, one of my favorite pictures, as we hold that thing of 
the invitation to the dance. Just imagine this is the dance. There's another picture, well, there are many pictures in the New Testament which are put out there to show what it's like when a community like this gathers. As Matt was just saying, how when the community is functioning well, isn't that a beautiful thing, folk? You know, when you hear stories of that, here you've, you, you may be making a meal for someone and then you hear that they've passed that meal on to someone else and someone else has begun and, and you're sick and someone's come and prayed for you and then you find, oh, I'm feeling better and you pray. When the community's running well, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And one of the pictures that I love is that of the family. And so Paul and, and, and the other writers of the New Testament often will use the family as like this picture of what it's like when God's community, God's children, get together. And so I want to just dig in now as I, with a few little things of what does it look like when we live as God's family? In other words, when we're dancing that beautiful dance that's been choreographed by, by the Lord together as a people. And the New Testament is quite clear. So Paul writes firstly, I'm just going to pull a few verses out. So just work with me now. Um, he's talking to a bunch of uh, uh, Ephesian Christians in Ephesus. This is 2,000 years ago. He says, I urge you, Paul says, to live a life worthy of the calling or the invitation you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. He says, be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Agape, love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit Keep the unity. For me, dance in step, folk. Learn to dance in step with everyone else around you through the bond of peace. And then he writes these words. There's one body, another picture. There's one spirit. There's only one Lord. There's one faith and there's one baptism. One God and Father over us all. We share the same heavenly Father who is over all and through all and in all. Isn't that beautiful? And so he says, speaking the truth and love to one another, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. For from him the whole body, and again another picture, but joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up, how? In love. Again, see that foundation. As each part does its work. Be kind and compassionate to each other. In brackets, even when you don't feel like being kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other. Now that's, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Forgiving each other. And then he tells us how to do it. Just as Christ forgave you. Grant Hazel, if you don't want to forgive your brother or your sister, just a reminder, young man, old man, I forgave you. Quite a lot of nonsense. That helps it, doesn't it? And then those lovely lines, be imitators of God. Be imitators. When you imitate, and Lord, how, you know, there's a call as his children. Like any family, you know, the sons and the daughters want to be like mom and dad. That's what, if, if, the, if it's a whole family, if it's a healthy family, you want to, want to be like my dad. I had a great father. I wanted to make him proud. I wanted to be like him. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. That's that divine dance again. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music 
in your heart to the Lord. Thank you, JJ, as he leads us to do that, as we learn to sing to each other. And he goes on, he says, and dance like crazy. No, I added that. But we are, dance together. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, so here's the big idea as we hold that thing of a family and of a dance. We are meant, as we live our lives together, in this very real, very gnarly world, we are meant to mirror that divine dance and that divine family, that the three-person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who always honor each other. This is my son. The voice comes from heaven when Jesus baptized, whom I love. Jesus says, I've shown my disciples, as he prays back to the Father, your love for me, my love for you. The heart of the whole of the gospel is just this beautiful love, this agape love of God. I mean, I could go on. Paul goes, he writes to the Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, chosen people, family, that's what he's saying, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness to one another, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. There it comes again. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He, he keeps, Paul, isn't he clever? He keeps, same thing, one trick pony. And over all these virtues that he's just mentioned, he says, put on love. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's like finally you put on love, which binds them all together, he writes, in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's talking to us. Since as members of one body, and we're going to break bread later, when we take the bread, it's a reminder we are one body. So he says, um, as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How? Through psalms and hymns and songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. Isn't that amazing? Now, when you read that, you think, that is quite a tall order. I mean, just the picture that Paul is saying, that's what we, sh we lack as a family. And then Paul, you don't, know, you don't know me, you don't know my family. You know? Help is at hand. Help is at hand. Romans 5.5, 5, please. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's, here's a little truth, folk. We can't, we can't love like we should love or like that we've seen in the Scriptures without some help, divine help. And that's why Romans is such a beautiful verse because the picture there is of um, the prophecy in Joel that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost, that God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we are receiving God's very own love. Isn't that amazing? This is, this is the, the empowering presence of God that will help you and I to live patient lives, lives of forgiveness, learning to be kind to one another, learning to submit one to another, to take our own often selfish desires and actually submit them under Christ so that we learn to honor one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. In 
the Apostle John writes some of these words. How great is the love, again, same idea. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. I love that word lavished. Have you ever been to a lavished banquet? I mean, you know, the tables are just groaning. If you have every bit of food on there, you are going to be sick. You're going to need gym, fasting, Weight Watchers. Lavish. And that's what John says. He says, the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. This is the message, he says, you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So, and again, it's just this beautiful picture of us as God's family, in a sense, dancing together in this beautiful dance of love as we learn and we grow and we mature in the love of God. And we learn to just relate to each other. We can sometimes, in our modern world, actually narrow down the idea of family to just our own family. You know, just sans myself, my kids. That's all. Sometimes that's all we feel we've got capacity for. You think, just, just to provide for my family and to have love and, and that is, is enough. Forget about going wild. But the scripture says, as good as the nu- what I would call the nuclear family is, or the blood family, there's a greater reality, which is this family. And that's, that's really my point this morning, is that you are my brothers and sisters. You say, Hazel, where did you get it from? Well, from Matthew. Matthew says, when G- he tells a story. Jesus was talking to a crowd, and Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers stood outside. They wanted to speak to Jesus. And so someone goes in and says, Jesus, your mom is here. Your brother's here, they want to chat to you. What do you think Jesus' response be? Come on, no, no. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he points to the disciples and he says, you, here are my mother and sisters. Now he's using hyperbole. He's using a provocative learning situation to teach us, I think, all a lesson that is important. And listen, Jesus, Jesus knew the value of nuclear family. When he's on the cross, John tells us that as he's dying, he looks down and he sees his mother and he sees the apostle John. And he says, woman, that's your son. Son, that's your mother. Wasn't it? Maybe it wasn't John. And, he said, and, the, and, and the gospel says, and from that time on, John takes Mary into his home and treats her like a mother. And that's the reality of what I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to teach us, is that we learn to live and to be brothers and sisters, and we, we ask God to grow our capacity to dance together. And so now, to help us with that, could we perhaps, shall we stand together? This would be great. And we've all got, we're going to break bread together. Because as I close, I was just thinking, how do I finish this morning? And Jesus was a bit of a genius, and his last teaching that he gave before he died, was not a long sermon or whatever. He, he leaves us with a picture, which is this picture. A meal with bread and wine. And for 2,000 years, Christians around the world have taken, and shall we do that, have taken the bread, the wafer, and as we eat, we are reminding ourselves of the love of God for us. God's love toward us. That that one member of the Trinity said, Father, I'm prepared to go and die on behalf of my enemies, your enemies, our enemies. And so as we take that, we remind ourselves firstly of this amazing 
love of God that is poured into our hearts, Father. That is poured into our hearts. And so, Lord, as we eat now, we just ask you, pour your love into us by your Spirit. Help us to be a people and become a people who are learning to love and to live a life of love, your love, Lord. And Lord, as we take the cup now and we drink, we know, we're reminded again of the one cup that you shared at the Last Supper. And in a way, Lord, although we each have small little cups, we are actually all invited to drink from the one cup because we are one body, Lord. We are one family. And so, thank you, Lord, for the fact that as we drink, you've taken care of our, each one of our sins. You've taken care of all of our nonsense. We clean, Lord, because of your sacrifice. And so we drink together with joyful hearts and say thank you, Lord, for your gift to us.